0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy.
1: Listener Supported,
2: WNYC Studios.
3: Uh, wait, you're listening. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay.
4: All right. <clears throat> you're listening, listening. to Radio Lab. Radio From Lab. From WNYC.
3: <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm Jad Abumarab. I'm Robert Krolwich. This is Radio Lab. So, Robert, one of my favorite sounds of all time mm-hmm. is the sound of hearing people think. You know, of uh, hearing a mind kind of formulate a thought that wasn't there until it... Clicks in. Yeah, uh, and that's just an, a beautiful sound, especially when the mind that you're listening to is a person who has shaped you, has shaped the show. Sure. So uh, today, a little bit of a departure. Um, A couple of months ago, I got connected to a guy named Bill Hayes, a mutual friend, sort of put us in touch. He wrote a really good book, actually, about anatomy. Really good. I gave it to my son. Really? Yeah. Yeah, He is a writer and a photographer.
1: And I was the partner of uh, the late Oliver Sacks. And together we made tapes or recordings of conversations in the last
3: year of his life. Now, Oliver Sacks, one of the great, great writers of science Yeah, yeah. masterful, masterful writer. You know, we here at Radiolab have grown up with him and his style of, of combining sort of clinical scientific observation with deep humanity and poetry. I feel like we're always trying to walk in his footsteps in some way mm mm-hmm. We do. We do. And certainly we know we've had him on the show many, many, many times, so his voice will be familiar to a lot of you. But what you hear on these tapes is an altogether different portrait. And why? Why did you start uh, these recordings? Well,
1: Oliver got his diagnosis of a terminal cancer in uh, mid-January 2015.
3: He had had cancer about nine years earlier, dealt with it, but it was back and spreading through his body.
1: The prognosis was 6 to 18 months, and uh, it was shattering.
3: Shortly after, Bill says they were sitting at the kitchen table talking.
1: Like I, uh, I knew that he had things on his mind that he wanted to write, and I said, well, what are you, what are you thinking about writing? This is about four days after he got his diagnosis. And he paused, and then he looked at me and he said, uh, something like, a month ago, I felt that I was in good health, even robust health. At 81, I still swim a mile a day, but my luck has run out. Mm. And uh, I said, stop right there. And I grabbed a pad and a pen, and I said, start over. And I began writing as fast as I could, as he dictated virtually the entire essay.
3: Wow. Just sort of spilled out like that?
1: Yeah. And uh, so we had the idea of getting a little audio recorder, a digital recorder, so that it could be on hand at any time. Whether to um, record what he wanted to write or reminisce or to collect stories after his death, I put the recorder in a drawer and um didn't pull it out again until over a year and a half after his death. I didn't even listen to it, any of it to write my own memoir. I had been kind of very nervous about listening to them because I thought it would be very sad, and just that it would just make me depressed and sad. But I took it. I took the recorder out of the drawer where it had sat for 18 months, and I pushed play. And of course, it didn't work because the batteries were dead. So I had to scramble to find batteries, and when I did, and then pushed play.
5: Um, um, okay, this is a, um, a recorded conversation um, between OWS and Billy Hayes. I mean, um, on February sixth.
1: The hairs on my arms went up. It was as if he was alive.
3: This is the first recording you made with him?
5: Mm -hmm.
1: It was uh, during dinner. We were eating at the time, and he began telling me about his dreams.
5: Um, Dreams. I've been having a lot of strangely archetypal dreams of a journey I have to make. Yeah. Getting lost um, and getting found, full of surprises, maybe... Going through a door, which I think will be a door to another room, but it's a door into a, a mountain landscape.
2: Uh-huh.
5: Um, um, sometimes frightening ravines or, or having to edge along very narrow ledges, but then finally coming to some gracious, heavenly mountain meadow and then waking. And dreams about journeys an approaching end and um, it's a journey from where to where.
1: This was February 6th, 2015, so about three weeks after Oliver got his diagnosis of a terminal cancer, and his immediate impulse was
5: to write. And yet, begin this balance has been forced into my mind by the events of the past two weeks.
1: Oliver was quite deaf. Even louder than he realized, he would whisper words to himself as he wrote them down on the pad, and he wrote with a fountain pen. For Oliver, writing was a form of thinking, and the primary activity
5: or a human being, my normal, my normal health, normal state of health and energy. At least such health and energy as a fit, as a fit and active eighty-one-year-old old can old, hope to enjoy in this. Right. Having, I know, in the previous month, a liver, full, of melanoma, testes. Do you have new
1: pages?
5: Yeah, I hear. Right, things are out. This is f- from there. Out. What I'm going to do is just leave that all there, so you yes. can look at it again. Good. Yes. No. No. Nothing must be destroyed, and I'm a creature of multiple drafts. As you know, there's no other specific symptoms, that was of the general feeling, the general feeling of disorder, which goes with them, which goes with them, and which may be... Tolerably severe, tolerably severe, tolerably so severe, so severe. Patience, some patience, patience, patience. We long for death. We long for death. Magnifying glass. Uh,
1: yeah, I have an Oliver was the kind of guy who would take dictionaries to bed to read with a magnifying glass.
5: Can you bring my Chambers dictionary or look up a word for me? Sure. You may need a magnifying glass, and I have one here. Aha. I also feel the missing magnifying glass. There it is. Can you see if there's a word, recipicence? R-E-S-I...
1: Yes, there is. Change to a better frame of mind. To be wise.
5: To be wise. Um, can you pull out the big dictionary and see if you can find any examples? In particular, I want to know whether a return to health. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um,
1: Here is a man with a huge vocabulary and love of writing, but still, every day he would be struck by a word that he wanted to look up. Well, it immediately says... Repentance for misconduct.
5: What did you say?
1: Repentance for misconduct. Recognition of errors committed. Return to a better mind or opinion. Um, What's the origin of the word? To
5: recover one's senses. Come to oneself again. Yeah. Come to one's senses. I think that's not quite the word I want. Meditating debilitating tiredness disappeared I felt a little return of energy homeostasis is coming back is coming back the fucking body My fucking body which I had so cursed Christian Jinsei. Well, thank you very much healing you yourself gratitude pours forth continually the unexpected had happened the hope for health the hope for health of a reawakened faith in tomorrow awakened faith for tomorrow after tomorrow
4: okay Billy yeah shall I read something to you
5: yes
4: A general feeling of disorder. It is especially when things are going wrong internally, when homeostasis is not being maintained, when the autonomic balance starts listing heavily to one side or the other, that this core consciousness, the feeling of how one is, takes on an intrusive, unpleasant quality. And now one will say, I feel ill, something is amiss. At such times, indeed, everything comes and goes. And if one could take a scan or inner photograph of the body at such times, one would see vascular beds opening and closing, peristalsis accelerating or stopping, viscera squirming or tightening in spasms, secretions suddenly increasing or decreasing, as if the nervous system itself were in a state of indecision. Instability, fluctuation, and oscillation are of the essence in the unsettled state, this feeling of disorder. We lose the normal feeling of the procedure, though relatively benign, would lead to the death of a huge mass of melanoma cells. These, in dying, would give off a variety of unpleasant and pain-producing substances. Soon after waking from the embolization, I was to be assailed by feelings of excruciating tiredness, and paroxysms of sleep so abrupt they could pull axe me in the middle of a sentence or a mouthful. Delirium would seize me within seconds, even in the middle of handwriting. I felt extremely weak and inert. On day 10, I turned a corner. I felt awful as usual in the morning, but a completely different person in the afternoon. This was delightful and wholly unexpected. I suddenly found myself full of physical and creative energy and euphoria almost akin to hypomania. Exuberant thoughts rushed through my mind. How much of this was a re-establishment of balance in the body? How much an autonomic rebound after a profound autonomic depression? How much other physiological factors? And how much the sheer joy of writing? I do not know. But my transformed state and feeling were, I suspect, very close to what Nietzsche experienced after a period of illness and expressed so lyrically in the gay science. Gratitude pours forth continually, as if the unexpected had just happened. The gratitude of a convalescent, for convalescence was unexpected. The rejoicing of strength that is returning, of a reawakened faith in a tomorrow, and the day after tomorrow, of a sudden sense and anticipation of a future, of impending adventures, of seas that are open again.
5: Uh, where's, the, where's the microphone on this bloody thing? <laughs> well, OK, you're recording this, right? The, the time is 9.20 um, in New York. It would be five hours difference with Greenwich Mean Time. And it is Monday the 9th. That's to say the 20th day after my embolization And just 48 hours till the next one. End of recording. Pause.
1: On March 11th, Oliver had the second embolization surgery, which would cut off blood supply to the tumors growing in his liver, with the idea that it would give Oliver more time, more energy. Christian. Christian. We'd been together six years, I knew him well, and yet uh, I'd never seen him with such focus.
5: Billy finds my question.
1: Just constantly writing.
5: Uh, I don't know what to call this piece. They can title it, Uh Ninth Avenue in the Glorious Forest. No, well, I like it, it, the future I shall never know. Okay, sorry. I oh, like- oh, 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 that's excellent. Yeah, that's it. Um, and I, I, I think I need to put in, have otherwise, um, just to indicate why I should have some insurance. I, and I say to Billy, who is a good deal younger, who is younger, who is a good deal younger than I am. Originally, I put who was two thirds my age, but <laughs> um, so I have to be precise. I like that. Okay. I mean, that is really precise. Okay, who is exactly two thirds my age. Okay, so that's that. <laughs> a little piece. Um for the New Yorker. Yes. Okay, have some insurance
1: I'll
5: heat your suit. Thank you. Sure. I like the idea of saying Billy who is exactly two thirds of my age. <laughs> it's not it's not a fraction you expect to see. Three-quarters, yes. Half, yes. But not two-thirds. I like the idea of putting a tiny arithmetical conundrum.
2: Ninth Avenue Reverie, published March 20th, 2015. Driving down Ninth Avenue, choking on diesel fumes from a truck just ahead of us, I say to my friend Billy, he is exactly two-thirds my age, I wonder whether you will see the end of internal combustion engines, the end of oil, a cleaner world. The thought zooms me away from Ninth Avenue to a forest world. In particular, to the one described in That Glorious Forest, Sir Gillian Prance's book about his 39 visits to the Amazon in the past 50 years. He sees what we are doing to the Amazon and its many peoples. He speaks for conservation, sanity, reason, before we destroy it all. I went to that glorious forest in 1996, 11 days of botany, study, and hiking, seeing hundreds of different species of trees in a single acre. I had planned, before I became ill, to go to Madagascar to see its forests and its unique fauna and other wildlife, especially the lemurs. I love lemurs. One has to see them, study them, to grasp the origin of our primate nature. But most of the forests on Madagascar have already been obliterated, and, not unnaturally, the lemurs are dying. honking horns bring me back to Ninth Avenue. I seem to have spent hours lost in reverie, thinking about the Amazonian and Madagascan forests, lemurs, the time machine. But we have scarcely moved, are still behind the stinking, lung-destroying truck. Not in my life, Billy answers.
5: Um, um, I... Uh, yes? Um, uh, Yeah, 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 I've been reading a lot of it aloud to Billy. Um,
1: uh, This is a recording where Oliver is talking on the phone to Lawrence Weschler, or Ren Weschler.
5: But anyhow, he... um, I was due to have a a CAT scan follow-up on Thursday. I was terrified of this. In fact, what it did show was that 80% of the metastases in the liver um, had been destroyed by the embolization. With luck... I should have two or three good months after this. Um, Well, I I just hope that I can see friends and write and maybe travel a little. Uh, Yeah, and I think next month, if I'm up to it, I'm going to go to London to say hello and possibly farewell to um, friends and family. And... um, I can't think ahead beyond that. Six, seven, it's still one short. Oh well, so, um, semantics. Use of elementary units, phonemes, and its inseparability, intimate relation. Ooh,
1: I want to hear, I want to hear.
5: Over the years, i filled upwards of a thousand notebooks. Their contents are very various, but three of them have had a special function. To record abnormalities of perception during times of sensory impairment or deprivation. The current notebook is a very modest affair. It is quite small and slips easily into a pocket. Crucial because I need to have it with me at all times. With increasing deafness I am more and more prone to mishearing what people say. But mishearings deceive one entirely. You accept what you hear, you accept what you see, Every mishearing is a novel, surprising concoction. One never gets used to them. The hundredth is as fresh, as absurd, and as thought provoking as the first. Mishearing became a mishearing. Take the car for spin became take the car for swim. I've noted that. Johannes your highness therapist invertible the tarot cards tarot poems big time publisher was heard as a big time cuttlefish I said did you say a poetry bag and you said no I said a grocery bag <laughs> I love the idea of a poetry bag yes I'm inclined almost to put them all in I think they should all be in yeah I mean the sheer mass will, will make the point mm-hmm. that sound trumps everything
0: One's surroundings, one's wishes and expectations, conscious and unconscious, can certainly be co-determinants and mishearing, but the real mischief lies at lower levels, in those parts of the brain involved in phonological analysis and decoding, doing what they can with distorted or deficient signals from our ears. These parts of the brain manage to construct real words or phrases, even if they are absurd. And yet, there is often a sort of style or wit, a dash in these instantaneous inventions. They reflect, to some extent, one's own interests and experiences, and I rather enjoy them. Only in the realm of mishearing, at least my mishearings, can a biography of cancer become a biography of Cantor, one of my favorite mathematicians. Tarot cards can turn into tarot pods, a grocery bag into a poetry bag, all or none into oral numbness, and a mere mention of Christmas Eve, a command to kiss my feet.
5: Oops, no wonder I couldn't write anymore. more. I, I, I must get more cartridges. I'm going through these too quickly. I want to reassure you,
1: yes. all of these thoughts are already in the draft. Oh, oh very good. Okay? <laughs> so, I think it's time to let your weary mind rest. Yes. Okay. We'll
5: see each other in the morning. Okay. If you could just kiss me whenever I had a dry mouth, I'd be in heaven. (laughs) Do you want some more water? (laughs) Yes, I better raise my head a little. Hello, this is David from Berlin. Radio Lab is supported in part by the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation, enhancing public understanding of science and technology in the modern world. More information about Sloan at www.sloan.org.
2: Learn more about high yield cash accounts at betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. On Notes from America, we have conversations with people across the country about how we can truly become the nation that we claim to be. Each week, we talk about race, our politics, education, relationships, usually all of them, because everything's connected. And you, our listeners, are at the center of those conversations. I'm Kai Wright. Join me on Notes from America, wherever you get your podcasts.
5: to um, pour out some wine for your your elderly lover? Sure.
1: (laughs) You want some of this? Okay. (laughs) You look very happy. Which one of these jackets appeals to you, um,
5: if you're going to pick one? Let's go to the start. Yeah, well, of course, I have to take my own unfortunate shape. No, uh, no, no. I, um, I, no, I, you know, I want
1: you to respond to them.
5: Which one is yes. Oh, I see. Do you like I'm not as, uh, I think, as fond of this sort of routine mm-hmm. jacket with its pockets and its flaps. Um, functional, though, it is. I don't know where I got that jacket. It's
1: so hot, Oliver. Sorry? It's so hot. Hot. Hot.
5: Do you know that word? Sexy. Yes. Uh, oh, oh, yes, right. You're very handsome. And you haven't had anything to eat. Mm-mm. You should have something to eat. I might go out.
1: I sort of enjoy that on Sunday night. Yes, I know. I get a little stoned and I go out into the neighborhood. Do you mind?
5: No. I am. Um, I don't know that I'm good for much company anyhow at the moment. Yeah, go rejoice. Um, uh, I wasn't counting how many to do you hear? I didn't count either. Yeah.
1: Oliver had enjoyed a couple of really good months of feeling well and fit and. Uh, getting lots of writing done. He had completed not only a general feeling of disorder, the short piece, "Mishearings," his autobiography, On the Move, was published. He worked on a piece on the evolution of the eye, and he'd completed a major case history on the performer, Spaulding Gray. We'd made this wonderful trip to London for 10 days, After we returned from the trip, he knew that he would have to get another CAT scan to see how things were going. And I I would say that we kind of had a feeling, an optimistic feeling. He seemed to be doing well, so he went into that hoping for the best, but it was exactly the opposite. The cancer had spread beyond the liver to other organs, um, that it uh, was looking very bad indeed. Oliver, more than anyone, I think, knew that Time was running out.
5: Um, Billy, um, I wonder if I could ask you uh, to look up something on the little box. Sure, uh, the Ten Commandments. Yeah, in particular, the one about um, keeping the Sabbath day holy. I'm not sure what its exact exact wording is. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? That's right. Let me just write that down. Exactly what I want. (laughs) Surgical identity.
1: He was having a lot of discomfort and had to have a catheter implanted in his abdomen to drain off fluid that was accumulating from the tumors, which was around August 4th or 5th. It was really the only solution, and uh, it was quite uncomfortable, and it had to be drained daily. Um, And it also unfortunately ended his swimming he was a great swimmer and he loved to swim but he didn't complain swimming had come to an end so he put his head down basically and began working on this essay sabbath
5: What did the think I was doing? <laughs> I
1: knew what you were doing. I just wanted to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, did I hi. miss a dramatic reading? It just started yes. a little while ago. How are you? We His longtime assistant editor, Kate.
5: What are you writing
2: about? The Sabbath? Yep.
5: Yeah. It's going to be quite a long piece it's going to fill an entire pad my mother why don't you get a chair I don't like you looming
1: <laughs> I just I like standing
5: it's better okay that. fine stand then right. uh, should I loom over here okay yeah. Okay. my mother and her 17 brothers and sisters had an orthodox bringing up all photographs of their father show him wearing a yarmulke and I was told that he woke up ...if it fell off during the night.
3: That's funny. I love that.
5: My father, too, came from an orthodox background. But they were very conscious of the sixth commandment... ...remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And Shabbos, as we called it by a bitfuck way... ...was entirely different from the rest of the week. When Shabbos came in, my mother would light candles... ...cupping their flames with her hands and murmuring affair, And I gradually became more distant or indifferent, I think just more indifferent to Jewish life, the synagogue, the Sabbath, and the synagogue in particular. Though there was no particular point of rupture or alienation until I was 18, it was then that my father, inquiring into my sexual feelings, compelled me to admit that I like boys, I haven't done anything. I said, it's just a feeling, but don't tell Ma. She won't be able to take it. He did tell her. And the next morning she came down with a look of horror on her face and shrieked. You are an abomination. I wish you had never been born. The battle was never mentioned again. And her cordiality, even love, was rebuilt. But her brutal, hateful words, her curse, made me hate Judaism, all religions, in their capacity for inhuman bigotry and cruelty. And it turned me, in part, to a self-hating, self-accusing, closet, homosexual. I'd felt a little fearful, visited my Orthodox family with my lover, Billy. <laughs> my mother's words still echoed my mind, but Billy too was warmly received and there was no hint. Of the terrible bigotry of 60 years earlier. This was made clear by Robert Job, and he invited Billy and me to share a Friday evening with him and his family. The peace of the Sabbath, of a stopped world, a time outside time was palpable, infused everything. And Billy, I think, was as conscious of this as I was. That I'd been able, for the first time in my life, to make a full and frank declaration of bisexuality. Mm-hmm. That I was finally out of the closet, facing the world openly, being with being guilty secrets locked up inside me. And now, weak, short of breath, I watch firm muscles melted away by cancer and my thoughts increasingly not of the supernatural, which has never made sense to me, but of what is meant by living a good and worthwhile life, achieving a sense of peace within oneself, I find my thoughts gifting the Sabbath. The mm-hmm. day of rest, the seventh day of the week, and perhaps the seventh day of one's life, when one can feel one's work has done and one may, in good conscience, rest.
1: On August 14th, Sabbath was published in the New York Times. That same day, he began to dictate the table of contents for The River of Consciousness the collection of essays which he knew would be published posthumously. It was getting his house in order.
5: Um, I don't know that I'm capable of much writing, nor that I want to do any writing, but I hope I can, as it were, think aloud to you and to Kate, mm-hmm. in the recorder, mm-hmm. home hospice, um... I think that I will require an amount of care, including intravenous, nursing things beyond what you and Kate can provide, mm-hmm. or should mm-hmm. and this in turn should release you, you know to be just my friends and comforters. Um, now, one last go Tempting my appetite Can you bring me in a little bit of cajury? Um Just to mention There is also chicken soup Yes I probably should have some liquid I'll just
1: do a little of each
3: Two weeks later, on August 30th, 2015, Oliver Sacks died at home. In the last seven months of his life, he wrote and published nine pieces, and there were many, many more that he started but wasn't able to finish. And some of the essays he wrote are now in a new collection uh, published after he died called The River of Consciousness, and that's just out. The readers that you heard in the story uh, were radio labbers. Anna McEwen, Simon Adler, and Bethel Hobte. Thanks also to Mike Pashkash for engineering help. And this piece was produced by Carla Murthy.
0: This is Emily calling from Houston. Radio Radiolab was created by Jad Ebenrod and is produced by Soren Wheeler. Dylan Keefe is our director of sound design. Maria Matisar Padilla is our managing director. Our staff includes Simon Adler, Rachel Cusick, David Gebel, Bethel Hobte, Tracy Hunt, Matt Kilty, Robert Krolwich, Annie McEwen, Latif Nasser, Melissa O'Donnell, Arian Wack, and Molly Webster. With help from Amanda Aronchik, Shima Oliyali, David Fox, Niger Vitali, Phoebe Wang, and Katie Ferguson. Our fact checker is Michelle Harris.